Tandanji and Ribbon. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, I must say that uh, it was fascinating listening to uh, Dr. Golden Chan. I have uh, read some of your writings, and I'm normally quite skeptical about people when they talk about uh, demise of this nation or collapse of. Uh, but uh, I think you made a very interesting uh, presentation. I'm sure there'll be a lot of people who wanted to have an opportunity to <coughs> discuss that further. Uh, my topic was chosen by Rivonji and uh, uh, Dr. Tandon. Uh, my fault, because <coughs> I really didn't have uh, uh, the energy uh, to suggest. Uh, but I did mention to uh, Rivon that I wanted to stay away from discussing about uh, the dialogue. Uh, 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 first of all, I think, uh, as I look around this room, this is a room which is very f familiar with uh, this so-called dialogue you know, process. <coughs> and if I uh, spend uh, <coughs> my time discussing about that, I think I would put many of you uh, to sleep. Uh, but uh, uh, one thing I must say that uh, this discussion is important, particularly even the topic itself, because people do talk about the next century being the century of Asia, and if it is century of Asia, obviously the most important player uh, India and China. No matter whatever may be the battle that they will, you know, fight. I mean, you know, you, you have uh, indicated, you know, some possibilities. Uh, or even it can go tip, you know, in a different direction. But whatever it is, whether it is uh, confrontational, whether it is cooperative, there's no doubt uh, at all. Uh, but if you look at that, uh, unless you are absolutely ignorant or want to really fool yourself, uh, you cannot really imagine a, a relation, uh, whatever that relation may be, between these two Asian giants without the Tibet issue being resolved. So therefore, I think even though <coughs> I feel intimidated in this, you know, not only the speakers, but even the audience, but the fact that I think you invited a Tibetan to participate is very important uh, because this issue, uh, you know, uh, you cannot really ignore that. Uh, I remember <coughs> we talked about anniversaries. So this is uh, my 30th anniversary of <laughs> <laughs> visit to China. Uh, well, in fact, interestingly, <coughs> our counterpart was uh, Xi Jinping's father. Xi Jinping was uh, our counterpart during those discussions. And <coughs> when we were in uh, Beijing for <coughs> uh, our first round of what we used to call the exploratory talks, uh, I used to go over to visit the Indian ambassador. Uh, <coughs> uh, and even my colleagues first said that, well, maybe the Chinese uh, will feel uncomfortable. Maybe they'll feel very suspicious. Uh, I said, well, they may. But the fact is, first of all, uh, we live in India. His Holiness lives in India. And uh, if they have a suspicion, you know, uh, you know by us visiting or not visiting uh, the ambassador, is not going to make any difference. On the other hand, I also said that it's very important uh, for the Indians uh, to understand 
you know, that this is an issue that uh, they can really not, you know, ignore. And in those days, I think, uh, with enforcement, I think uh, Ramesh Pandari was <coughs> foreign secretary. And maybe when we went for the second time, uh, uh, Raja Saab, um, my friend who is now at the uh, Observer Foundation, which is at uh, Rajgotra, Ambassador Rajgotra was foreign secretary. Uh, I remember even in those days, you know, telling them very candidly, you know, that uh, uh, it is very important that India take a proactive role. Obviously, uh, we do know that, uh, you know, India has committed, and let's not go to the history and, you know, start blaming each other of accepting the fact, you know, that, uh, you know, the Tibet Autonomous Region, uh, you know, as part of PRC. Uh, and the historian says also, you know, is seeking a solution within that framework you know, on that, you see, you know, uh, I'm not trying to uh, encourage uh, the government of India to take a different approach. But within that premises, it's very important. Because, in fact, I feel that uh, uh, when the government of India tries to pretend that it has no interest, or it, it is, you know, business between the Tibetans and Chinese, I think the Chinese become even more suspicious. Uh, it is always, you know, very important when, you know, India takes much more proactive, very genuine interest, at the same time making it very clear that its intentions are not, uh, you know, uh, with the intention to destabilize or to harm, you know, China's interest. So that's why I think such a gathering is very important and that we have this opportunity to, to discuss, you know, these matters. <coughs> now, I want to discuss, therefore, this tragic situation that is now happening inside, uh, you know, Tibet. This is something that I think uh, all of us, uh, especially, hopefully, which it may, may not, the Chinese, uh, then of course India, but the rest of the world must really pay attention. Uh, now, 100 people have self-emulated themselves. Um, just imagine each one of them are, you know, human beings like ourselves who do see the preciousness of, you know, their life. Why is this happening? Almost like a prediction, during our eighth round, I told my Chinese counterparts, word by word, I said, look, I am not only worried, but I really feel almost sense of terror in my heart that unless you modify your personal policy, there'll come time that the Tibetans cannot take it anymore. In fact, I told them very clearly that the fact that there has been many decades of stability in spite of so much of suppression is precisely because of one person, Tenzin Jatsu, the 14 Dalai Lama, is, is not because of the heavy military or, or police presence, is not the ruthless policies, it's precisely because of this one person, one because the Tibetans had hope in him, all right, we'll suffer more. We'll take in more of the suffering because, you know, we have, you know, our leader speaking for us and he will bring some, you know, result. The other thing is that he's a very strong message of nonviolence. But even that I said one day, one person can tilt the whole thing. So my worry is not only that the, the self-emulations, which is tragic, 
uh, and I think this will also continue. But it is very, very thin, you know, uh, like, a, you know, resin. Someday it can lead into, this is my fear, different kind of act. Really, I really, I mean, we all, I think, have sleepless nights because if that happens, then of course we'll suffer more. I, just as you discussed about Xinjiang, China's immediate reaction will be to more suppression and the rounding up, you know, more people, imprisoning and torture. But ultimately, I think it will create immense destabilization. And if there's destabilization on the Tibetan Peninsula, <coughs> It will not be isolated. You know, it, it, it will have, you know, impact in the whole region. So therefore, I think, you know, every nation, for even for their kind of, you know, self-interest, I think must pay attention because I'm really worried about this situation. And in fact, uh, you know, during the last days of our negotiations, when I was still heading it, you know, I repeatedly tried to convey to the Chinese leaders that we need to meet, not to discuss any issues, not to revisit the proposal that I gave, but to try to somehow find a way to defuse this tragic situation you know, that's happening on, on the plateau. Uh, this is, is of immense value. Now, we talked about leadership change, and I do not disagree. Uh, <coughs> I mean, you know, there's nothing to disagree because I think, you, you know, Jayadev, you know, gave a very elaborate. But w one thing I think uh, with regard to Tibet, now I also don't disagree that, you know, majority of them are being conservatives, quote and unquote, because again, you know, when we come to China, when we talk about liberals and conservatives, it has a totally different meaning than what we uh, in this room, you know, mean when you talk about conservative or, or, or liberals. But uh, I mean, this is just a thought, you know. Since so there are so many experts here. Uh, again, I'm not being, you know. Sometimes we Tibetans are too optimistic, you know. Uh, but then that's also important, you know, because if you don't have that, particularly in case of Tibet, I think we will have, you know, lost our fight long time back. Is the optimism of His Holiness and I think of our people. Now, one thing you see that the, the, the dialogue process, <coughs> which of course didn't bring uh, any tangible result, but then I think, uh, you know, as some of you as uh, research scholars, diplomats will also agree that it did have uh, tremendous also impact. Because when you talk about negotiations, you must not just focus on the trips that I made to Beijing, how many trips <laughs> I went and what exactly had happened at that table, but is impact particularly inside Tibet, what it meant for the Tibetan people. And also internationally, I think it did sustain the Tibet you know, issue by the fact that we had this dialogue. So therefore, when you make analysis about the success of the failure, you have to look at different aspects and not just focus, because when His Holiness and those of us who served him decided to go for dialogue, we also had no illusions <coughs> that by making uh, 10 or 15 trips, this very delicate, complex, and a way a very ancient uh, issue could be resolved. 
because we felt that it is very important for over all aspects. Most important for the Tibetan struggle is the people themselves, especially people inside Tibet. Not so much the outside. Sometimes, you know, I'm not very popular with <coughs> some of my friends outside Tibetans because I, I call them, you know, including myself, we are armchair revolutionaries. We can make big speeches. Uh, in fact, you know, very candidly, when the Chinese during our discussion started uh, criticizing our activities, you know, I said that you don't have to worry so much about people like me because we live in freedom, we talk big, but your problem will be Tibet, inside Tibet. The ones that you have educated, the ones that you think you have been able to brainwash, ultimately you have to fear the ones you know, that are inside Tibet. That I think is precisely the situation. But anyway, going back, you remember that this, uh, uh, this since 2002, the formal, we had the informal, you know, discussions before that for several years. In fact, uh, from my experience, those informal uh, discussions that I had before 2002 were much more productive than the formal discussions that I had with them from 2002. But all that happened during Jiang Zemin's time is, I think, something to do also a little bit with his style. Uh, Jiang Zemin, as you know, is someone uh, who gave a lot of access to, because you know, a lot of people had access to Jiang Zemin, foreigners, business people, even within China, all kind of you know people, and that you know also gave us you know added you know advantage. So therefore, we were able to, in a way, directly engage, and also the other factor is that he made foreign policy, especially Sino-American, you know relation as the key uh, uh, sort of uh, center of his foreign policy. And I think we have also been quite successful in making efforts to somehow make the Tibet issue very much <coughs> integral part of Sino-US relation. In fact, it became almost, I'm not saying that it was the topmost uh, issue, C certainly not, you know, but we were always there, you know, as one of the issues even in bilateral discussions. So he saw the Tibet issue as also making a move, maybe very slow, sometimes maybe very symbolic, but an important factor in his foreign policy, particularly in his relation with the United States. <clears throat> now, uh, Hu Jintao was totally different. In fact, if you analyze once Hu Jintao took over, when I met the trips, even during his time, but very little movement. And also, we were unable to have any access to uh, Hu Jintao himself, because he had a different style. And this is, I think, uh, many other, I'm sure, diplomats have also experienced. I know that Americans have expressed, you know, you know he was very, very formal, and he really did not allow any you know, back door entrance, side door entrance. And that, you know, became a major handicap. Now, looking at Xi Jinping, even in the last few months, uh, and also, you know, uh, talking to people who claim they know, you know, sometimes you never know, because with our Chinese friends, a lot of people come to us and say that, oh, I'm a friend, I know him well. But I think his style certainly is more reflective of Jiang Zemin's style. 
so with in that regard, you know, I think uh, uh, because in, in the negotiations, everything is about having the right access. Uh, because I'll tell you, you know, uh, since I'm now retired, so I can tell stories. <coughs> During our second round, uh, uh, when everything was, uh, you know, settled about venue and the debt, everything, and finally I get message from, <coughs> and those days the, my counterpart was Wang Tango, uh, Minister Wang Wu eventually became a member of the Politburo and who just retired uh, during the recent party congress. He sent a message to say that my number two, Mr. Kassan Jalsen, welcome, everything is ready, but you cannot bring him. I said, why? <coughs> oh, we don't think he is very supportive of the Dalai Lama's approach. <laughs> so I said, I can vouch for him. I know him more than you do. I said, why? He said, well, he went to the, uh, 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 to some meeting in the European Parliament uh, and made a formal statement, uh, which clearly indicates that he's very hostile uh, to China and is not very supportive. So therefore, please come, but don't bring him. So without even consulting His Holiness, the then Kalantiva Professor Rinpoche, I immediately answered, said that if he doesn't come, I don't come. There'll be no next round. So for about three weeks, there was total settlement because Wang Tako will not compromise, and I said very clearly. So finally, I was able to send this message to Jan. said, look, <laughs> this is happening. So even on such a matter, he intervened himself by telling Wang Tako, don't make a big fuss. You know, let, uh, you know, Kassel Jalsen also come. Uh, and, you know, then again, there were more. Anyway, I'm just giving an example, because when you have that kind of excess, uh, uh, you know, there's much more opportunity of things moving ahead. So with regard to, to, the, to the dialogue process, since you do want it to me to talk a little bit about dialogue process, I thought I'd share that with you. However, I have just come from Dharamshala, uh, where we had uh, the meeting of the task force. This is a small group of us uh, that kind of help and advise on the, uh, you know, Dharamshala's relations with uh, Beijing leadership. And, uh, you know, I also said it there, and I feel that even if uh, 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 Xi Jinping's style and maybe approach may be slightly different from that of Hu Jintao. At least for a year and a half, uh, you know, I think it will be mistake for us to see any movement on issues such as Tibet. Uh, unfortunately for them, yes, you, you know, I agree uh, that Tibet certainly has, uh, you know, uh, become uh, more important than Taiwan at the moment. Uh, but it still does not mean that we are one of those issues that they must tackle uh, in their mind uh, in the next you know, few months uh, uh, because it still is a fairly you know, law on the issues that they have to deal with. Uh, but uh, I think this is uh, important that uh, you know, we continue to pursue that. Now, in this regard, that after I think the talks, I have asked the uh, Foundation to share with some of you a presentation that uh, uh, the what do you call it? Uh, yes, constant foreign relations. So some months back, the reason is because I tried to raise you know a few points there, which I think is also relevant. One is that uh, you know, especially with 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 India, uh, because every time now, lately the Chinese have been very aggressive in trying to you know isolate the Tibet issue. 
on the pretext of this one China, every time anyone tries to raise the issue of Tibet, they immediately say that, I, I am not committed to one China policy. How dare you raise the issue of Tibet? And unfortunately, some European countries have been intimidated. They, they certainly thought, yes, yes, true, yes, we, we agree with. I want to point out that this one China policy has nothing to do whatsoever with Tibet. But Chinese have very successfully in the last few decades somehow made everyone believe because that one China concept, as you know, came into being, you know, specifically with regard to Taiwan. And there, you see, there's, there's no dispute because Kuomintang and Kuomintang both are talking about we are same. They both even say, even Kuomintang used to say that, oh, there's only one China. Tibet's are different. Tibet's, if you have to go back, you have to go back to the 17-point agreement. That is what, not the Shanghai Kamneke, that deals with one China policy. Tibet, you know, even you have to go back to a position where, you know, you accept Tibet to be part of, you know, China. It is the 17-point agreement. That you must go back. So I hope that people will not be intimidated and somehow by the Chinese uh, on the pretext that discussing the Tibet, you know, issue has a relevance to this, uh, you know, one China, you know, policy. The other thing, particularly here in Delhi, I wanted to uh, bring up another issue. I hope that this will now go away. Uh, but there was very serious effort uh, last few years of, in fact, changing fundamentally the whole approach to the issue of the so-called minorities. You know, doing away with the whole concept of the autonomous regions. Because somehow there are some Chinese scholars, as you remember, said that we made a mistake. We should have not even gone in that route. So therefore now we have a kind of created these separate identities for the Tibetans, for the Uyghurs, for the Mongols, that we should do away with that. In fact, we should not have any, uh, you, know, you know, autonomous areas, regions. Uh, and some people thought that this is rhetoric by a few outer, uh, 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 you know, uh, leftist certainly is not because, in fact, finally even the executive vice minister of United Front uh, and an official publication wrote about it. So there was definitely move. Now, if that happens now, particularly even for India, now let's say tomorrow, you know, just theoretically China, you know, does away with this so-called autonomous regions. Now, as far as I know, that India. Uh, you know, after a lot of confusions and mistakes, uh, but accepted Tibet to be part of an autonomous region. An autonomous region is always, you know, of PRC. Now, tomorrow, if China violates and does not respect that autonomous status, what will be your position? Will you still say that yes? Because I think after very careful deliberations, you see, a position was taken that you accept Tibet to be as part of PRC, but on the understanding that it is an autonomous region. And Panditji, you know, clearly said, remember that, you know, Choyala had assured him that China's intention is not to make Tibet into province of China, but as an autonomous. So I wanted to, you know, raise this. Hopefully this may, you know, not come up because National People's Congress did not discuss that. But you'll never know. The other factor is now, if the prison situation in Tibet continues, and sadly if it becomes even more tragic, 
then I think the Tibetan people will have the right to invoke. You see, because the United Nations, you know, has no new concept, the right to intervene. I mean, you're doing everywhere. <laughs> Why it is, you see, uh, in your interest, the Americans, the Western nations, because this concept, you know, you know, became not only popular but was carried out in many countries where even sovereign nations cannot violate the fundamental rights of its own citizens. So this is what exactly is happening in Tibet. So even the Tibet movement, ultimately, if there's no progress in dialogue, if the tragic situation continues, I know it's not going to be easy. It's, it's not like, uh, you know, you're talking about, you know, you know, some other countries that, you know, China is different. Everyone treats China differently. But the principle, I don't think you can deny that. And they're, they're, I think the Tibetans will have to make a major move uh, towards that initiative. So, uh, you know, so I thought that, you know, with this, you know, group that it may have, you know, some uh, 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 relevance. Uh, <coughs> Uh, and, and with that, I think, you see, I, I will uh, leave because I think on all issues, because that's why I asked permission to be the last speaker, because then you see your previous speakers who are more experienced and brilliant, you know, will say all the right things. And you just have to, uh, you know, make little, uh, you know, remark. But during the discussions, if there's anyone who's interested to know more or, you know, ask, of course, I'll be very happy to uh, uh, come back. Oh, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Hilkoso.